Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Voices of the Vic podcast um, with me, Ben Ayton and Mike Duffy. And we're back with Jacob Deacon. He's back with his second appearance. I don't know if you remember, he, he was on last season um, for the Leeds United review. I think it was the, the day of the supporters committee as well. And Jacob brought up a lot of good reasons on that. And I thought it was about time to bring him back on with his views and opinions on what's going on behind the scenes with a hierarchy and um, everything else. It'd be interesting to get Jacob's views on that. Um, but firstly, Mike, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Um, not done a great deal this weekend. Watched the game. Um, shame we couldn't hold on to the, the win. But other than that, all good. Thanks, mate. Good stuff. And Jacob, good to see you at football yesterday. How are you doing, mate? Very good. Yeah, thanks, for thanks, chaps, for having me back on. Um, as you rightly say, the last time I was on was after that defeat to Leeds and obviously the uh, the day or the uh, the day after the infamous fans committee situation. So uh, potentially a little bit calmer on today's pod- podcast. I wasn't banned after the last podcast, so I'm, I'm still here to fight another day anyway. You must have done something right to come back. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's great to have you back on, mate. But yeah, uh, just before we get into the Watford um, news from yesterday, the, the 2-2 draw and the Cristiano Giretti stepping down or being stripped of his um, director of um, football position at Watford, there's a few things we just want to go over quickly. Obviously, um, everyone here at the Voice of the Vic send our condolences to the Royal Family after the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, she was 96 years old and she was at the reign for 70 years. Uh, we, our, our thoughts go out to the royal family. Um, and I must say, it was really well received at Vicarage Road yesterday for that minute silence. Uh, you could hear a pin drop and it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then secondly, just want a quick mention for my local football team, Bertham Sid FC. Um, they've reached the FA Cup third qualifying round for the first time in their history after beating Concord Rangers 2-0 at home yesterday and Concord Rangers with two divisions above them, which is the same standard as Hemel's. I think it's Conference South they're in. So it's a massive scoop for Burton said yesterday. So a big shout out to them. But yeah, we're a Watford podcast. We'll jump back straight into the Watford um, talk. So it was um, 
five changes Rob Edwards made to the team that lost 2-0 away at Blackburn Rovers midweek. Um, we saw um, Courtney Hawes come back in, True Secon, uh, Kamara, Espria, and Keenan Davis got his first start for Watford as well. And also reverted back to a back four uh, with Craig Cathcart going over to that right-hand side. Uh, Mike, with the that team news, what was your thoughts on the team news? And, and obviously, you was pleased to see Keenan Davis get that start. Yeah, mate, I, I thought the team news was, was the best it can be. I thought we needed a change after Blackburn. I watched Blackburn um, on Tuesday night and it was absolutely woeful. Um, just no fight, no passion, no desire, nothing. Basically reverting back to last season. What we what we didn't have last season was like Blackburn all over again. Um, back four, absolutely, you know, fine with that. Kamara back on the left-hand side, which he prefers. He's a much better player on that left-hand side. Uh, Courtney Hawes, we saw what he was like at Rotherham. He's probably the calmest defender I've seen in a Watford shirt. The calmest on the ball since Marco Cassetti days. Possibly uh, Angela as well. And um, Craig Kafka out at right-back. You mentioned on Twitter, Ben, that you, uh, you were having a conversation with one of the listeners. And you mentioned how well he played in that right back role against Norwich the season that we went up. I thought Cathcart again had a brilliant game. And True Sukong, I think it was his first start. Uh, and I must say, hats off to him. I, I thought he did absolutely superb, uh, or as well as he could. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch upon that. But yeah, the, the, the big one for me was Davis had to start. He was the only shining light out of that Blackburn game. Just the ball sticks to him and he's phenomenal and I'm glad that he got his first goal. So hopefully he's going to cement his place in that starting eleven now. But team news-wise, I was happy. I thought it was the best team we could have put out with the options we had available. Yeah, and Jacob, obviously we met up before the game like we normally do in like the walkabout and, uh, and we, we saw the team news come out and I showed you it and then we heard about it being four at the back and you were saying to me before we actually met, saying you hate playing five at the back and you was obviously pleased that it did revert back to a back four. Yeah, it's, it's just not for me, the five at the back. I know I know some people like it um, and formations a lot of the time are probably down, from a fan's perspective, I feel like it's down to preference. For me, I, I just don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. I think what I said to you yesterday... The, the wing-back, the demand on the wing-backs, uh, you know, effectively covering that whole flank, I think it's so demanding for them to do that for 90 minutes solid. It's quite easy to exploit. And personally, I just think playing a back four actually also not only makes us more solid defensively, but gives us more going forward. You know, we then have more people in midfield, more people moving forward as well. I just think it's it's a much better system. And I think with the players we've got, I think we're, we're more suited to a, to a four um, and you often hear, you know, people say as well when you know when you use a back five. This has maybe been the argument uh, with England and Southgate using a back five as well. You normally use a back five when you can't trust two centre halves to to play in a back four. Maybe that's been the thinking more. So I don't know, but obviously we know with Rob Edwards' uh, history at Forest Green, he, he likes back five there as well. So clearly that's his preferred formation. But from a personal preference, I'm definitely a man in favour of back four def- for, for sure. Yeah, and. Um... Maybe we saw with that squad yesterday that Watford really don't have that squad depth at the moment, Mike. Um, and obviously, recruitment's been a big talk over the last few weeks. And obviously, fans would have wanted more numbers in for the building. But looking at the bench, and I think we saw it yesterday with our substitutions, that we didn't have that depth. And when Sunderland made their changes, they made a difference coming off the bench. Whereas Watford's substitution didn't make a difference, if anything, cost us the game. 
Yeah, I, I think it's definitely highlighted, as you say, the, the fact that the squad depth isn't there um, and we've had the whole of the transfer window to address that and we haven't done. Obviously, the articles have come out. Andrew French has done his interviews with Rob Edwards and he said, I've had say in the transfer window. But especially with this whole Juretta stuff that's come out, it maybe points to the fact that he hasn't had as much say as he would have liked. Uh, the whole right, right wing-back scenario with, you know, massive problem there. I wouldn't have been against bringing another centre mid in. Um, but other than that, I think we addressed the areas we needed to, but they were two big areas for us, right wing-back and centre mid. Um, as you say, the, the substitutes yesterday, I, um, I actually thought that he's going for it. I think we were 2-1 up and we brought a defender off. It, it, am I right in saying it was Kamara off and it was back um, bio, bio on? So the yeah. fact that he made a switch, he brought a striker on and took a defender off, I, I don't mind that. That says to me that he's happy to go for the game, go for the third goal. But if you flip it on its head, maybe that does speak volumes about the lack of squad depth we've got. And as we all know, Ben, in this league, you have to have good squad depth. Because it's a long old season, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. We know that it's a cliche of the championship. And we, we haven't addressed the areas that we should have done in, um, in in the transfer window. And we've got injuries. And yes, players are coming back from injury soon. But, you know, what what about now that the games, the last few games, that, that they've not been, it's not been good enough? Yeah, and it was. It, I think Watford kind of started quickly out of the blocks a bit yesterday, Jacob. I think the first five, ten minutes, we started quite well and quite positively. But then we kind of we lost that intensity, didn't we? And then we started playing the ball between the centre-backs and Batman, and that was just getting frustrating. And then the fans started to lose patience with it. And I think that was going on to the pitch as well. It's not helpful when you've got centre-halves who can't pass the ball properly, is it, Jacob? And then the fans just quickly... They get on the backs within 10, 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, they, they do. I th- we, well, we obviously spoke about it before we came on. I think it's a pattern of play that was quite consistent with us last season where, you know, Backman or Foster at the time would play the ball out from a goal kick to the defenders, maybe play a couple of passes between them, look for a midfielder, not be a midfielder, prepared to, to show himself, certainly not to show himself, turn and pick out a forward pass. And I think that's still a massive problem for us. In fairness, look, the, the defence for me is pretty shocking. I don't think the defence is great. But one thing I would say is that I don't think we've got midfield, any creativity in the midfield. This was an issue last year. and I think it's an issue this year as well. We've not got that style of player in midfield, really, that defenders can ping the ball into. They can turn and then look more offensively to, to try and pick out a pass. So quite often, as you rightly say, you end up, you know, a couple of passes between defenders, back-to-backman, long ball, you lose the ball and repeat. I thought, I agree, I don't think the start was as sluggish as it has been in previous games. I didn't really think there was much in the first half at all. Obviously, we got the goal, went in front, which is great. Probably, you know, a bit sloppy the way we gave away the second one. I know it's a tight call with it being just over the line, but obviously, you know, a goal's a goal. Um, I, thought, I thought it was a bit sloppy, but then I thought second half for 15, 20 minutes, we were pretty decent. We were camped in their half. Um, and then obviously the, the subs changed the game. And we, we sort of gifted momentum back to back to them. So it felt like it was the Oz for the taking, really. That first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, we get the goal, go two and up. Should have gone on to win from that point for me. Yeah, and Mike, just quickly before we go on to the goal 
quickly as well. We're talking about the, the centre-half passing in between each other and Jacob mentioned about how we haven't possibly got that midfield who would maybe maybe come short to receive a ball or try and find space. I don't know if you picked up on this watching at home, but from where I was sitting, I, I could sit clear as day. The central midfielders for Watford went hiding yesterday. Kiambi was like hiding behind his man every time it went back to a centre-half. So he wasn't trying to find space. Um, Hamza was coming towards the ball, but he was getting followed by a man every time. And it was just, it wasn't working. I don't know if you picked up on that watching from TV. Yeah, I, I, absolutely you do. And I, I think before even Hamza Chowdhury come in, we were screaming out for a midfielder that would come and get the ball and try and make things happen. That's that's where I think loser's going to be such a big key part of of that. that we honestly cannot... He cannot come back quick enough for us because he's exactly the type of midfielder that we need. So, yeah, you know, there were times that Hamza Chowdhury was even dropping into the back four at times. And I, I, he did that against uh, Blackburn as well. So, you know, it's, it is frustrating. And as you say, you know, Kayembe, he, he's hit or miss this season. He had a fantastic game against Middlesbrough. You know, we, we were singing his praises on um, the, the podcast, you know, af, after the Middlesbrough game. Um, and, you know, he just went missing yesterday. Um, Chowdhury, has, other than his debut, hasn't really impressed me since. I, I might be being harsh, but he's not got to the levels that I thought he would. Um, and, you know, Pedro can't can't do it all in the, in the middle on his own. So, yeah, it's frustrating. So, I, I think we definitely need Imran Loser back uh, ASAP. Yeah, he's definitely a man with ability who would come short and spray those balls and it's what we are lacking at the moment. But one of those balls that he might possibly play is what we saw from Yasser Espria yesterday, Jacob, to cut open the Sunderland defence for Kamara to run into a byline and cut the ball back for Keenan Davis to get that first goal. But we shouldn't really be heavily relying on an 18-year-old to be creating chances like that, Jacob, should we? No, we shouldn't be. I mean, look, Espria... He's the potentially the bright spark, isn't he, in that that team? Um, and he's that creative spark that can make things happen. But you're right. I mean, he's 18. We can't pin our hopes on him dragging us up this year because you know it's just it's not fair to do that. You're setting expectations pretty high for for a youngster. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I think it says it all, doesn't it? The fact we're looking at an 18 year old and almost pinning our hopes to a certain extent on him. You know, I know it's not solely on him because we still got Pedro and Saar, who obviously carry a lot of the weight of expectation as well. But Esprit is probably, based on his performances this year, he's probably not a million miles behind that in terms of what we're expecting from him. Uh, but he needs help. Can't do it on his own. You know, obviously, Mike's touching Kiembe there. Um, Kiembe, for me, I'll be honest, I've been one of his biggest critics this year. I just, I, I don't rate him. He's not for me. I, I think there's one or two games more recently where he's probably been a bit better. Um, you know, I think the few times I watched him at the start of the season, he just was absolutely shocking, you know didn't particularly seem to want the ball when he went for the ball, just didn't seem good enough on it. Um, I just, Personally, for me, I just don't think it's good enough. I really don't. For this level at all, I, I just don't think he's a championship player. I think you could you could make the argument probably for four or five of these players in this team. That's the main concern for me. I mean, I look throughout what our normal starting level would be and think I'm not entirely sure that all of these players could can actually compete at this level full stop. Forget promotion. I'm just talking at this level generally. Um, and that's obviously a big, big concern. Definitely. Um, I'm not quite sure what KMB does as a footballer. Uh, I don't know what his role is on the football pitch sometimes. But like, he just runs around in circles and 
he doesn't doesn't look comfortable. He he might have the odd effort from 30, 25 yards out, um, which obviously he scored a banger against Kupo, which ruled out he was close yesterday with an effort as well. Apart from that, I don't think he brings anything to this team. If anything, I think he he affects us. He, he doesn't bring anything to the team what we require. Um, and that's like playing with 10 men at times. Um, Mike Keenan Davis, I know you want to speak about him. He did grab his first goal for Watford. Um, our mate Anthony Parsons came up with a comment saying Davis has to start the next game. He's the builder player we need as a main striker. My question to you, Mike, is is he that replacement replacement of Troy Deeney that we've waited for years for? Yeah, he, he very much reminds me of the old Troy, you know, back in the promotion season and the season leading up to that as well. Um, the, the ball just sticks to him. Like, he genuinely, every time the ball goes up to him, you're like, ah, oh, he, he might win a flick on air and he'll bring it down and he'll just have it for ages. And, you know, Luco Nine had an absolute, you know, horrible day yesterday. He scored an own goal. He would have wanted to, you know, prove a point against Watford. And he had to mark Keenan Davis. And every time Davis had the beating of him, and you could tell that Davis was getting frustrated at times. He was making passes, people passing to him, not quite enough on it, too much on it. He was getting frustrated at times. So, um, you know, he, he he does a lot of the work. And if we can get the players like Pedro, Asprea, um, maybe even Bio, he will create chances for them. He didn't score many goals at Forest. He scored five goals for Forest that season that they went up last year. But, and I don't think he'll score a hatful of goals for us. What I do think he'll do is he'll bring others into play and he'll create chances and allow other people to score more goals. Um, I mean, brilliant that he made his, you know, got off the mark in his first start for the club. Um, but, Honestly, his all-round game is just what we needed. I think I was talking on a pod a few weeks ago before the transfer window closed saying how I quite like Johnson Clark Harris uh, because he was sort of a similar mould to Troy. Uh, Keenan Davis is a man. He, he's a man, for me, that we need up top. He's going to not only score a few goals, he's going to create them as well. And we've created players around him. That's only a recipe for, for success, hopefully. Definitely. And Jacob, what was your thoughts on him? I thought first half he was good. I thought second half he was much better. And I don't know if that's because play, we had Pedro playing a bit closer to him. I thought he was a bit isolated at times in that first half. But second half, I thought we saw what he can bring to his Watford side. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I completely echo the thoughts of Mike on him, really. I, I think he's exactly what we need. He's the nearest to, to Deeney that we've had since Deeney left. Um, we've... We've got clearly got some talent in the squad, particularly the likes of Pedro, Sar and Espria that I mentioned earlier. Probably what those three lack is they're not necessarily players that, that can hold up the ball. Um, so potentially they could get marked out the game a bit easier. Davis can hold up the ball. Uh, you know, he can bring those those guys into play. And I think as Mike correctly mentioned there, he might not score a hat full of goals this year. Hopefully, you know, he surprises us and does bang in a few. But I don't think that's what he's, he's necessarily there to do. Certainly not his only job. He's there to bring the other guys into play. But if we can keep him fit, get him starting games, and get the other guys close to him uh, or closer to him on the pitch, you know that that's going to be where we're going to have joy this season for sure. But yeah, I think he's an excellent addition. He he is a hundred percent the sort of player that, that we needed to bring in. Yeah, and then slightly after his goal, Mike, it was um, a goal just before half time. You think just go in one nil up regroup and then come out and attack the second half but 
It was a goal given from a referee's uh, referee's whistle. Goal line technology kicked in. I saw you you put a tweet out on a uh, the podcast <laughs> account, like saying, "Oh, it's never over a line with your camera angle." And then minutes later, you said, "Ignore that." Yeah, case <laughs> um, closed. Across the line, but um, it's just silly, really, isn't it? It's, we shouldn't have allowed the ball to go into the box. I thought Crave Cathcart should have been stronger and maybe stayed on his feet where he fell down. Um, but it's another avoidable goal for Watford and it's so frustrating just for our time. Oh, mate, honestly, like they say that is the worst time to concede. Like, you know, that changes the team talks of both managers. You know, whether you've just scored the equaliser or whether you're on the receiving end of it. And like you said, it's so avoidable. I watched it back time and time again. You know, before I got the, the screenshot of the um, goal line decision, they didn't show you the, 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 the freeze frame until half time. And I, I, as you say, I, I don't know what it looked like from the ground. I know you're sat right behind that goal, Ben, so it might have been difficult for you as well. For, for me, it looked nowhere near over the line. Yeah. I was like, really? Obviously, I'm not going to doubt the technology, but we've seen the other week that Blackpool. Right, I think it was Blackpool or Huddersfield, rightly had a goal that should have stood, but it wasn't given. Uh, obviously, we all remember Sheffield United against Villa in the lockdown season, etc., um, etc. Et so, we know that it has a tendency to fail. Granted, not a lot, but you know, we then saw the freeze frame and it was well over, but it was such horrendous defending. Like, as you say, Cathcart went down too easily. Uh, why is Backman not pouncing on that straight away? It was just like really schoolboy defending. Like the ball was bubbling around. Their guy that um, put it over the line, he'd sort of come out of nowhere, just pushed his way in and then had the shot and it went in. So, yeah, I, I think it's frustrating because A, it was right on the stroke of half time and B, it was so avoidable. Uh, and you just knew, like we've watched Watford how long and you just know that when someone's equalises just before half-time, it's not going to go to plan. And uh, we knew that we, we had it all to fight for come the, the, the second half. But I thought we started the second half really well, actually, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um, I, I was impressed at the, the reaction coming out in the second half. Yeah, I was going to go to the on-tack now. Um, cheers for the lead-up, Mike. Um, but yeah, um, great reaction uh, I thought from the second half, the moment the second half happened, Jacob, I thought we had a really good period for about 20 minutes. And if anything, yes, we got that second goal, but for me, the biggest issue yesterday was not killing off that game. We had opportunities where we had a lot of possession. We should have got it into a mixer a bit more. We should have worked the keeper more. And that was the most frustrating thing for me yesterday, Jacob. I don't know about you. Yeah, definitely. We had, we had the momentum, didn't we? Um, as I said earlier, we came out after half-time for, for what I fi- I'm pretty sure was 15, 20 minutes. It felt like we were basically camped in their half. They couldn't get over the halfway line. You know, we get the goal. Um, you know, probably should have made a bit more of that, maybe create a couple more opportunities or try and get that that goal. And because it was still relatively early on, it, it's not necessarily game over at that point of 3-1, but you've got, you know, two-goal buffer, haven't you, at that stage? It's quite difficult for, for Sunderland to get back in the game. You know, they've pretty much got to throw caution to the wind. Suddenly, you're looking at opportunities on the counter-attack a bit more. Um, so, it was frustrating. We didn't make more of it. But it was probably that 15, 20-minute spell was probably the best spell that I've seen from us a, a consistent period this season. I know I'm clutching a bit there because, you know, we're talking 15, 20-minute spells and not whole games or sequences of games even. So, you know... 
it's I'm looking at the, the silver lining, I suppose. But that was, you know, the, the best consistent um, patch of football that, that we've played. We've got to do more of that. I think Edwards actually spoke about that after the game and, and mm. sort of acknowledged the fact, you know, that we, what we were doing then was the right thing. We've got to do more of that, be more aggressive, push higher up the pitch. And clearly that was working at that stage. Frustrating, obviously, you know, it, it didn't continue, as, as we mentioned earlier. Obviously, the substitutes had a big impact on that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it was a good period for us. We definitely we've got to do more of that, haven't we? If we if we want results this year and we want to kick on up the table and improve, that's clearly the you know the method we've got to follow. Yeah, it looks like very small baby steps at the moment with Watford under Rob Edwards. Like like you said, he, he did come out afterwards and said that twenty minutes spell is what I want this team to do consistently, but for a longer period than for ninety minutes. And we only got it for twenty minutes. But like you say, it's a it's the first time we've actually seen any of that this season. So maybe his ideas are getting across and it's starting to implement and we're actually seeing how it's um, working out on the pitch. Um, Mike, Luke 9 he left Watford, um, mm-hmm. got released, didn't he? Um, and ended up joining Wickham Wanderers. Uh, fantastic career at Wickham Wanderers in, in League 2 and 1, I think. I think he got promoted to League 1 with them. Then he got picked up. By Sunderland, he's been there four or five seasons. He's a decent utility player. Um, he can fill in loads of different players, but he actually came back and scored in front of a rookery yesterday um, for Watford. I bet he's been dreaming about that moment for years. <laughs> I know. Any typical? I think I tweeted the goal saying he obviously misses playing for us. Um, and it's a real shame, to be fair. The kid's obviously got talent, you know. I know this isn't you doesn't necessarily transpire on the football pitch, but I seem to remember he was quite the trickster, wasn't he? He was, you know, keep hilpies with tennis balls, and uh, didn't he do something with a basketball? He kicked it in the the net. I don't know, but he, you know, obviously quite a likable lad. He was sort of on the cusp of trying to break in the, to the season that we got promoted under Yukanovic. So you know, it didn't work out. He's you know done well to come back. He, he's you know, well-received at Sunderland, getting a game every week at Sunderland as well. Obviously, had a bit of a torrid time yesterday coming up against Keenan Davis, but, you know, he, he seems to have got his career back on track, so fair play to the lad. But, yeah, you know, it's a classic example of he obviously felt that there was, you know, something coming from behind, so he thought, I'll just get my head on it, see what happens. Unfortunately for us, um, he got his head on it and it ended up in the, the back of the net, but... I don't think it was against a run of play. I, I thought a goal was coming anyway. So that definitely helped. But same old Watford, you know, we, we go 2-1 up. Yes, we make a sub, bringing on a, a striker for a defender. But we, we don't do enough to close out the game. And, and ultimately, we pay the price for it. I mean, they had a goal disallowed before the the, the legitimate equaliser. And, you know, it was, it, it was similar sort of defensive frail is shown for that offside goal than it was the equaliser but um, yeah you know good to respond by going 2-1 up but again really disappointing to to swoop down to the levels that we've shown in the past games and not able to hold the game out because you know a a win yesterday would have would have you know been a massive relief for us especially after how bad we played against Blackburn and with the international break going coming um, now as well like two weeks now and that's frustrating and the players and Edwards will be kicking themselves especially conceding so late on but like you say the warning signs were there we, we conceded um, but it was it was given as an offside and I don't know if you picked this up Jacob when the offside happened but 
I think it's Patrick Roberts or one of their players. He went running right away over to the South uh, Sunderland and, and he was like giving it the big one because he thought Sunderland equalised. But the flag was up for about 15 seconds and everyone else turned their back and was walking back because they saw the liner. But Patrick Roberts was still celebrating in the corner and the Sunderland fans let off a flare as well. And that was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And then the moment he turned round, he dropped to his knees because then there was a massive... Um, cheer from the Watford fans just laughing at him but that that was class um, you don't see that often but that, that was brilliant um, Jacob like I say the warning signs were there but again another stupid goal to concede and for me the, the blame lies solely at Christian Cavaselli who, who just came on he's replaced Craig Cathcart he's gone off injured um, but I don't know what Cabaselli was thinking there. I don't know if he was trying to like out muscle the defender or something and get his body in there um, but he, he kind of just falls over and then it falls to the... It's another case of the opposition overloading the far post, which we've seen so many times this season, and then they just slot in the goal nice and easy. It's just so poor, isn't it? It's such a poor goal to concede. Mike, you mentioned about the first one, which is a, a bit of a stinker to concede. <laughs> I mean, come on, this this one this one's Sunday league level, isn't it, really, if we're being honest? He's just, he's just put a ball into the box, we're not talking about like a De Bruyne style whipped ball around the back of the defence and he, you know, you know, class ball around. He's literally just pinged the ball into the box. So easy to defend, you know. Just quite simple. Just watch the ball and, and head it out. Cabasa, I mentioned earlier about a few a few players that we've got in the team that I just don't genuinely don't think are good enough for this level. Cabaselli for me is one of them. Um, you know, I just think he's had his day. I'm not convinced, even at Championship level, I don't think he's good enough. I really don't. I, I think there's a few players you could put you could put into that bracket, but, you know, we sort of, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon it a bit later in the podcast about, um, you know, the, the recruitment um, and, and how that's been an issue in the last few years. And the fact that we're still playing the likes of Cabaselli for me, way beyond his, his sell-by day, is probably an example of that. It's really, really poor. It has to do better. It has to do better. You can't, you can't concede goals like that. And we do it on a consistent basis. You can't concede goals like that and, and expect to do well at any level. It's it's really really schoolboy that. Yeah, and uh, if like me and Mike's had this discussion before, and we're like, yeah, we we like Christian Cabaselli as a person. I think he's a top guy. Who does a lot of work for community and for charities and all that. And we've had the pleasure of talking to him and interviewing. But in my eyes, that doesn't warrant getting into a starting eleven. You need to be a decent footballer to be putting on that shirt for Watford, and he's just not a decent footballer. No. He's he's like you say past his sell-by date, he's well below par. He wouldn't get into a Rotherham United team. No, I don't think he would. I don't think he would. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of players you could say that about, worryingly. You look at the, the worst teams, and by the way, we might be a bit, being a bit harsh to Rotherham there because they're actually doing quite well this year. But <laughs> They're above you know, like, the table, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're flying, aren't they, to be fair to them. But even if you... I understand the, the premise of it. If you look at you know some of the poorest teams in this division and the teams that are likely to finish at the bottom and end of the division... I, I honestly think we've got a few players that wouldn't get in their teams. That That's incredibly concerning. Considering we've just come down from, from the Prem, it's no wonder when you look at it that we got absolutely smashed to bits last year. Um, because, you know, the, the, the players are nowhere. There's a few players that are not at it at this level. Forget the Prem, honestly. Yeah. And Mike, I just want to mention, just before we analyse the, the performance and all that, I know... A lot of people have been putting a lot of blame on Rob Edwards and saying Rob Edwards out or is out of the depth. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous and you shouldn't be going to that length. 
but we do have the right to be a bit critical over his substitutions. And I thought his substitutions yesterday, I think just one of them was pretty critical, and that is bringing on Christian Cavaselli ahead of Sirielta. Whereas if, if he was in that position for Cavaselli, he would have been strong, he would have headed that ball away, we wouldn't have conceded. Yeah, I I did think that when, when I saw... Um... Because it was Cathcart, wasn't it? He went down injured. Uh, so when I saw him go down, I thought, you know, not great. Was he? I'm clutching at straws with what I'm about to say, by the way. So if you're listening, don't hound me here. But was it because Cathcart was playing right back? Is Cabaselli more suited to playing right back to Sierra Again, I'm clutching at straws. I, I would have gone with Sierra It doesn't matter. It's the dying embers of the game. You just stick someone on, extra body, someone we know that's going to put his head in there, you know, be be strong, like you said. But that's the only thing I can think. And like I said, I'm clutching at straws there. But yeah, I mean, all this stuff there, about... Also, there was also young Humbo on the bench who, who we think could do a job at right wing back. Yeah, whether he's the type to stick his head in there when it needs to be or... When, when the time matters, I don't know if he would have done. Uh, he doesn't strike me as someone that's defensively got the the, the right sort of attributes to, to be doing that. He's more attacking. You, you look at his loan spell he had at Ross County and, you know, a lot of goals, a lot of attacking flair, a lot of excitement. Whether he's the right person to come on and shore up the defence, I'm not sure. It's like Ngakia. Rob said that Ngakia and... Um, Davis with the two shining lights out of Blackburn. Well, I must have been watching a different channel because I thought Ngakia got turned inside out by uh, Ben Brereton and Diaz and they knew exactly what they were doing. And uh, I'm not surprised that he's injured um, af- after that because he-, he got the absolute runaround. So, yeah, you know, maybe the, the substitutions, obviously not the Cabaselli one, but maybe the other ones point to that, you know, what you said earlier about the lack of depth, maybe that highlights the lack of depth that we got. But I just want to say, these people that are saying about Rob Edwards, you know, is he out of his depth? Or he, he's a nice guy, but he, he should be going. wouldn't be surprised if he's gone. These are the same people that when we sack a manager, they're like, I wish we were stable. I wish we... For God's sake, man, it's one or the other. I want us to... like. I, I, I often go on opposition podcasts, and you can imagine... Every opposition podcast, oh, what for the known for changing the manager? I, I lose count the amount of times that they say that to me. And it, it gets on my tits. It really does. But, like, at the end of the day, we do do it. And I agreed with it, agreed loosely term there. But I, I didn't have a problem with it until the season we went down in lockdown um, when we got rid of Javi and then brought in Kike then uh, Pearson. So, like, that was the first season where I thought, hang on, you know, we need to chill out a bit now. So the fact that we've gone down the route of getting a young British manager in who supposedly plays attacking football, I think he does. I just think it's not going to come through yet. I I hate to bang on and, and keep sounding like a broken record. Yes, things aren't great at the moment, but you have to remember we're nine games into the season. So... If we're still doing this and it's, let's say, 20 games into the season and we're still playing like this and the problems are still there, then yeah, absolutely, question him. But don't be one of those fans that at the end of last season was like, we need to get a young British manager in. We've got him in. We're nine games into the season. 
we've not had the greatest of starts and people are like, get him out. He's out of his depth. He's a nice guy, but he's out of his depth. Come on, give him time. Like, this was bound to happen. We've had a rebuild as well. This is what people don't understand. So it just does my head in. What's your take on this, um, Jacob? Because if I'm honest, I, I think that Rob Edwards has really been hung out to dry here by the, the, the hierarchy, the board, sporting director, Scott Duxbury. Um, and I think he's, he's, he's doing pretty de- well, pretty well with the hand that he's been given. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, where, where do we start with this? I mean, it hung out to dry massively. The, the recruitment at the football club is so bad. And it's, it's been so... I mean... Listen, obviously, I've been speaking about this to, to you boys and, and a few others for a long time now, complaining about the rec- recruitment. You know, this isn't a, a thing of the last year or two. I think the recruitment has been questionable for, for a few years. Uh, and obviously, the last couple in particular, it's, you know, the chickens have come home to roost, haven't they? And we've, we've obviously suffered the consequences. Um, if you're a supporter, for me, everyone's entitled to their opinion, so and complete respect to that. But if you're a supporter right now, calling for Rob Edwards to go or questioning whether or not he should go, you need to be asking yourself some serious questions. You can't, as, as Mike absolutely says, we can't want lasting change and then in the next breath, nine, ten games into the season, say, oh, we, we want another manager. Because that's not change. Nothing's going to change. If he goes right now, and I'll be very honest, I'm fearful that he might in this international break. It seems to be a point where in the past, the Potsos have, have pulled the trigger, you know, Mike, we, I mentioned just before we came on today about Cisco uh, Munoz been mm. in the last two games, and you don't think there's much to that. No, I mean, no. I, I think there might be. I think there might be. But, you know, we'll, we'll obviously find out, won't we, in the next few weeks. But so it wouldn't surprise me if they pulled the trigger. But you can't have it both ways. You know, if you genuinely want change, you we've got – I'd actually go a step further than what you said, Mike. I think you mentioned that, you know, maybe around 20 games of the season. Let's see how it's going there. Given the season. Given, I don't care what happens on the pitch. I, honestly, I, and that sounds like a bit of a stupid thing to say because, of course, we all want us to do well. But if we genuinely want change, it might just be we've got to sacrifice this season. So, given the season, and if look, if we have an absolute shocker and we decide at the end of the season, do you know what? He, he hasn't been good enough. Um, it might be time for a change. Someone else could do better. Fair enough. Okay, then we can, we can make a decision. But right now, is another manager going to come in? There's two things we've got to ask ourselves here. First question... Who would we realistically get? And the second thing is the best potential candidate that we could get. Are they actually going to do any better? Probably not. You know, the, the issue here isn't the manager; it's the the planes, the the playing staff, the squad is not good enough. And whose fault is that? Certainly not the manager's fault. So you know, this is this is issues that have gone back way way before he was at the football club. So. It's just ridiculous talking about getting rid of him now. You know, I understand people are frustrated. You know, I'm going and watching the games as well. I'm, I'm frustrated. And despite me saying that, that doesn't mean that Edwards gets a free pass and he shouldn't be criticised for certain things because I think yesterday he didn't cover himself in glory. Personally, you know, his substitutions cost us the game. So it doesn't mean that he just gets a free pass and whatever he does is brilliant. It doesn't mean that. But at the same time, I think you can question certain decisions he makes within games without also calling for him to go. But, you know, if, if he goes now, it's just the same cycle all over again. We're just, you know, we're continuing on this merry-go-round and where, where's it going to end? You know, we're just going to keep flying through managers. The Potsos aren't going to learn the lesson in terms of recruitment. And I'll, I'll probably fear the long-term results will be, we'll, we'll just fly down to the divisions. It, it won't be an upward 
trajectory because you know it's not the I know we've had a, a good run up until the last couple of years and the overall project has been a success I don't think you can deny that um, but the last two three years clearly it's no longer working it's time for change yeah and it'll be interesting to see what happens um, with the news of Cristiano Giretta leaving his his role as sporting director as well um, is that going to give Rob Edwards more responsibility or a bit more freedom to do bits and pieces that he might want to do? Um, I, I know Uncle Ron's doing a Twitter spaces at quarter past nine and it, supposedly he's got an exclusive on the reasons why Gioretta was sacked or stepped down or given a different role, which is that Adam Leventhal's gone on to say today. It'd be interesting to see what those reasons are, but... Scott Duxbury, a few, well, a few months ago, wasn't it, at the start of the season, he came out with a quote saying, we'll be supporting Rob Edwards come high or high water. Mike, is that another lie from Scott Duxbury? Because what I watched yesterday and the players we've seen on that pitch, that's a blatant lie to me. Oh, only time will tell if they back him through, high, uh, through hell and high water. Not backed to... him first transfer window, though, have they? No, um, I mean... I do believe a certain degree of what Rob has said in these Andrew French uh, articles. You know, Andrew's been brilliant at getting actual answers and, you know, his articles have been second to none and top draw really have. So he's not afraid to ask questions where other journalists might tiptoe around. So we have to respect him for that. And Rob has said, you know, he's, he's come out and he said, like, you know, he's been heavily involved in the transfers. Uh, I don't think he's been heavily as involved as he would have liked. Uh, you know, there were mitigating circumstances around Kane Wilson, for example. Um, a lot of people say, why didn't we go after him? Uh, led to believe that that was due to location was a big thing. Bristol Rovers coming in for him, Forest Green down that way. That's just an example. But um, I think in terms of backing him, it's not just in the transfer window as well. It's as Jacob said, if he goes for a, a bit of a rotten spell, I've said it time and time again, there will be a time this season where we lose three, four on a bounce, 100%. And um, I I think that's when it's going to be testing. Do we stick by him or do we pull the trigger? Jacob said he's a bit fearful now. As we know, going into an international break, that's when the Pozzos tend to pull the trigger. I don't think they will. I don't think Cisco Munoz will come in. Uh, I know he, he went to uh, West Brom, Birmingham as well. I would imagine Troy has probably sorted him tickets for that. I believe he's just over here visiting football stadiums and, and watching uh, watching Watford. So I don't read anything into that. Yeah, he could have been back to more in the transfer window. We know that we don't go out there and spend masses and masses of money. We don't tend to dip into the English transfer market either. Uh, obviously, Brexit will have a big impact on that. Uh, the news come out, uh, there's a sell-on, uh, not a sell-on, sorry, there's a um, an option to buy with Keenan Davis, 10 to 15 million. I said to you, Ben, I'd be very surprised if we paid that because I can't remember the last time we, we, we sort of spent that sort of money in the English market or or, or if we have at all um, in since the Pozzo's come in. Only time will tell whether, whether you know, he, he's, he, they're going to back him. Um, you know, we've got another transfer window coming up in January. That'll come around before we know it. So, will things change? Will this Duretta sort of stuff that's gone on? You know, we don't even know if he's been sacked. Leventhal saying that his role's going to be stripped back. Andrew French saying he's gone. We don't know what's going on. I know that um, 
Forest Green Rovers have got, um, they had a guy, uh, Richard Hughes he was, he was the head of recruitment, worked closely with Robert Forest Green Rovers. You know, I wouldn't be against bringing someone like that in, someone English, someone that knows the market, knows gems to get. Get someone like that in, we might see an improvement. Um, but only time will tell with that statement whether they will back him. But I, we, we absolutely have to. If we want a project and we want to change our ways, we can't go calling for the manager's head nine games into the season. I, I think it's it's quite frankly ridiculous. But yeah, Duxbury's got a few things to, to answer for, absolutely. Um, Jacob, what's your take on the whole, well, that quote of Scott Duxbury and do you feel like Rob Edwards has been backed? I said to someone yesterday at the game, Duxbury, there's one of two things with Duxbury for me. Either he's obviously fed information by the Potsos in terms of, you know, club strategy, recruitment plan and, and so on. And Duxbury is obviously then the, the more public facing figure that then comes out with these sort of statements. So Duxbury has said, you know, we're going to back Rob Edwards. You know, we're going to do this. He said he's, he's got been recorded before saying, oh, it's, it's different this time. We've learned our lessons. These sort of, of things have been quoted from him. OK, and I said to someone yesterday, there's one or two things going on here. Either he believes the information that the Potsos is telling him. You know, he, he believes in it. He believes in the strategy and the recruitment, in which case he's probably a bit naive. Or the second thing is he's just an outright liar. They're, they're genuinely if we're being honest they're the two situations aren't they there's no alternative situation to that they've not backed him through hell and high water they've, they've not done that we can see that Ben I mentioned to you before the game yesterday what I would like to see is some form of transparency from the Potsos in terms of what their actual plan is I don't expect them to unveil all of their hidden secrets there's obviously certain things as an owner of a football club you cannot share publicly and you cannot share with the fan base and that's fine. I've got no issue with that. But at least come and explain something. What you know? Why have we not, um, you know, gone a bit harder in the transfer market? Is it a case of there are some financial difficulties there? Um, you know, are they trying to clear some debt? I mean, one of the things you and I were speaking about yesterday, Ben, if they yeah. came out and said, do you know what? We've got fifty million quid's worth of debt. Just for example, we've got fifty million quid's worth of debt. We want to service that debt and clear that before we really sign anyone seriously. Fair enough. You know, it's not, it's not perfect, but I would appreciate the, the honesty and the transparency. I think, do you know what? Fair enough. They're trying to protect the, the long-term um, sustainability of the club. I can get behind that. It's not ideal, but at least we know what's going on. But we don't know what's going on. All that we hear is, you know, things like, oh, we've just sold Kamara to Nancy for 16 million quid. He's been loaned back to us. You think, well, what the hell is all that about? You know, and this, this is the problem. Um, this is the, the big frustration with it. Um, but they don't seem to back to him. The business we, we get rid of Giretta, I mean, they Giretta clearly wasn't uh, a particularly popular man around the place. Um, a lot of people not particularly happy with him online, but it, he's in my mind, he's almost a sacrificial lamb here, isn't he? Exactly the same as Giraldi was, you know, however long ago that what, what was 18 months, two years ago now when Giraldi went. Um, at the time, he was the the public enemy effectively, wasn't he? He was the one that we all thought, right, that guy's got to go. He's gone. Giretta's come in and nothing's changed. And, you know, it, in the last few weeks, the frustration has been growing. Um, and then suddenly they've got, to, they've got to react and do something. So what happens with well, Giretta goes? 
you know, I'm not massively convinced it's actually going to change anything. It, I'm getting nearer to the point of thinking, well, actually, Duxbury and, and the Potsos are the issue. Um, something has to change. I'm not necessarily saying change of ownership, by the way, but something within the system has to change because this right now isn't working. Yeah, um, um, Mike, what would you say, who is to blame really for all of this mess? If if we got rid of Giraldi, we, everyone thought he was a problem. We've brought in Giretta, we thought he's, he's, he's a problem. He's gone again. What is the problem at Watford Football Club? Who is to blame? It's a does, recruitment. It, does it all fall into the hands of Gino Pozzo? Because at the end of the day, it's his football club and he, he hires these people and he makes the final say on everything. It's a recruitment. So it's whoever's in charge of recruitment. Yes, the manager will say, oh, I've got these targets. Look, remember uh, Vladimir Ivic was desperate for a left-back. Never got one. Um well, he did. He, right towards the end of the season, we got that um, Lazar, you know, the, the Moroccan fella. Not <laughs> exactly. So that sort of speaks volumes. It's almost as if they're afraid to spend money. Is that the right word? I think as well, it's worth pointing out, the money that we've made this season off selling people and buy-on clauses, I believe is somewhere in the region of around £100 million. Um, you know, you, you look at, just for an example, uh, Purvis is stupid now. We, we got um, a decent amount from him, I think about three million. Luis Suarez has gone to Marseille. We got money from him. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple out there, but they were just examples off the top of my head. So we've got the money coming in. And yes, obviously, you lose a lot of money going down from the Premier League to the Championship. No one's denying that. And a lot of that money will have gone to certain areas off the pitch that we don't see. Not a problem, but it's ultimately down to the recruitment. And yes, you could say that does funnel back up to, to Mr. Pozzo. He's not putting the right people in charge of recruitment. The way that they do it over there in Italy, it might work perfectly. But he's been in the English game long enough to know now that, and he's seen evidence that it's not perhaps worked. The times are changing and we've not sort of gone along with the times changing. It was brilliant when we first come in. You know, we were signing all these players from Udinese. Granted, some of them were crap, but a lot of them had, you know, Champions League, Europa League experience, Alman Abdi, Daniel Pudil. They they did superbly well for us, but it's almost as if the times have gone along, but we've still stood still where we were and we've not sort of got with the times and, and got with how, how we should be. Um, there is also an element of Udinese doing incredibly well in Serie A at the moment. There, were, there was a time. They, win today. they beat Inter Milan 3 1 to go top of Serie A, didn't they? I, I didn't even know they beat them today, and I didn't even know that they went top. So, that within itself, <laughs> if, if they finish in the top four, they've got Champions League. It wasn't long ago um, that <laughs> that picture circulates of that Udinese um, game where there's a banner in the stand that says Udinese underneath Watford shit. And Udinese fans don't like us because there was a stage where the Pozzos were putting all their eggs in the Watford basket and then leaving Udinese sort of behind because there was more money to be made in the English game. And we, we were like, yeah, brilliant. And now we're starting to feel like, I think, what the Udinese fans have been feeling like for the last few years. Like, well, hang on a minute, you own us as well. We are still here. Um, yes, you know, getting into the Champions League for their other club will be massive. It will help them financially. The, the games will be, uh, you know, really, really good. Let's not forget, 
you know, before they bought us, Udinese were regularly a European football team. So I think we're sort of, we're on the receiving end of that now. And we feel like we're maybe being left behind a bit. But all they need to do, if they just bring in a new, if if they're going, if they want someone to head the front of sort of doing all the transfer bits, get someone in, get someone English in, someone British in, someone that's been in the English game. So Gioretta didn't have previous experience in England off the top of my head. Giraldi didn't. They don't know the leagues. It's all well and good trying to pick gems off. And we've done brilliantly, South American players, European players. But get someone that knows the lower leagues, League 2, League 1. I'm seeing all these players going to championship, prolific scorers in the championship, doing well in the championship, getting to the Premier League. Uh, and it's all because it will all stem down. That Someone at the club will be like, Oh, by the way, there's some shit-up kid in League 2. Keep an eye on him, see how his pro- progression goes. And that's where it stems from. We haven't got anyone in that sort of area that knows the Football League inside out. And I think that that's that's quite telling, to be honest. And a team who's quite good at that, Mike, is like who always cherry-pick like good talent from League 2 for National League, is Peterborough United. They sell on yeah. a big star, then, they go, then they've got the research and someone who knows the leagues, and they just go get like, the best talent in the National League, League 2. They come in, then they hit the floor running for one, two season. They sell them on for a big fee, and it's just it's frustrating having, having a club like Watford, where we've got Jarrell to come in. He's a former... Undernazi sporting director and Undernazi fans absolutely hated him and they got him out in the end. So why think, do we have to pick up their scraps? Uh, as well, just just quickly as well, you know, you mentioned Peterborough so well. It's not even that hard to do. Any football fan knows if there's a player that's playing well in League Two and that, it, it's it's well documented. I mean, one that springs to mind to me, there's a lad that um, Notts County have just signed and, and whether the only reason I know about this is because of living in Nottingham, but Notts County has signed someone from Gateshead and he scored something like 26 goals in the National League North. He's scored in every game he's played so far for Nuts County, and he's still young. I guarantee, give it a couple of years, he'll be in the Football League, and he'll be one that people are knocking at his door. Uh, Langstaff, his, his last name is. Um, so, you know, it is, all it takes is getting someone in that knows the leagues. And, you know, even if Rob says, well, I work with this guy at this club, or I worked with him at him, get someone in that knows the manager. Because there's that, Instantly, there's that trust then between them two. And they'll be like, well, I think we need this position. Yeah, well, remember him. Let's get him. And, you know, it's just frustrating because the the frustrating thing is it's so avoidable and it's easy to sort out as well, in my eyes anyway. Well, whilst we're talking about recruitment, I I feel like that transfer window we've just had, half of those of what maybe Gioretta wanted and half of them were what, Rob Edwards wanted. And I think we've seen towards the end of the window with the likes of Hawes, Chowdhury and Davis, they're the kind of players we should be recruiting and bringing in. Not like the likes of um, Bio, Manai. Like, let's be honest, Edwards probably never heard of them before and didn't really want them. He wanted these young, proven championship players to come in and hit the ground running and he just hasn't got that. Um, Jacob, I, I saw something interesting on Twitter yesterday that Luan's put out, and it's about our recruitment since the Pozos have taken over. I don't know if you've seen this, but I, I'll read it out for everyone now. Um, Watford have signed 30 centre-backs since the Pozos have taken over. Only Pollock, Wilmot, Dawson, Kabul 
and Cabaselli cost money. All of them combined cost twelve million pounds. Since the Pozos have taken over, they've spent five hundred million pounds, and we've only spent twelve million on our centre backs. Take the floor, Jacob. Mm-hmm. I mean, where to go from here? I mean, it's we to to put it this into perspective. I remember thinking after the cup final. So we've just got to an FA Cup final, albeit we, you know, obviously we all know we got we got hammered. But listen, we got to an FA Cup final, which was probably beyond our wildest dreams before that happened. We just finished um, in our record Premier League, um, you know, record high uh, in the Premier League. Um, so a good season. I remember thinking in that summer that defence needs reinforcements, uh, and obviously as we know that the next season we went down, they didn't get the reinforcements they needed. Um, a classic example of, of the recruitment, you know, being poor and certain areas being neglected. It's inexcusable, that, isn't it? I mean, 500 million quid and tw- only 12 of it is on defence. What do you think is going to happen? This is, you know, the, the log- there's some parts of this are maybe more complex than perhaps we're, we're alluding to. And, and that's, you know, that's football, isn't it? That's just how it goes sometimes. There's stuff behind the scenes that we don't always, uh, we're not always privy to, or we don't always have the knowledge of. But, Actually, as a part of it, it's very, very simple. If you don't invest properly in certain areas, what, what is good? What, what are you expecting? I, you know, if you think about um, you, what for me has been quite. An, there's clearly been an obvious shift in the last few years. If you think about 2015 when we went up, um, and there was a real, you know, aggressive move in the transfer market that summer. You know, we brought in Etienne Capu. If you correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was a transfer record for us at the time. I've got a feeling that same summer, am I right in saying we broke a transfer record on Isaac's success as well? <laughs> it was the season after, I think. That was the season after. You know, mm. Albeit that particular one didn't work out, obviously, but the intent was there. You know, we also signed Roberto Pereira, uh, Valen Barami came. You know, there was a real sign of intent there where it was a case of, look, we're not taking anything to chance. If we need to spend money on people, we'll spend money on people. We're going to get the right players in. You compare that first transfer window going into the Premier League, compared to when we most recently went up into the Premier League in that transfer w- uh, window. And we brought in the 34-year-old Kuka um, mm-hmm. on a, you know, was, was it a loan deal with a, a view of signing or whatever it was, a couple of million quid. Uh, an ageing Musa Sissoko for, what, four million quid. Uh, Danny Rose. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the shift, there's clearly been a shift. Because there was not the same attitude in that most recent transfer window going into the Premier League compared to the first one. Um, and it's and, and the same applies when you talk about what we've invested in the defence compared to the rest of the squad. Um, the same applies when you look at transfer windows. What do you think is going to happen in that situation? You sign a 34-year-old midfielder who has never played in the Premier League before and you sign him to be one of your main players in the Premier League. What do you think is going to happen? It's, it's just, you know, it's, that's not rocket science, that element to it. And Mike, I actually agree with what you said. And there'll be a few people that might raise an eyebrow to it. this. I don't think the recruitment's that hard. I, I, honestly, genuinely, I don't. Over, over the years, um, you know, I know I've, in our group chat, I've regularly thrown out some names and you've laughed at me with, with a few of them. But, you know, there's, there's a few players that if we would have acted quickly at the time were pretty obvious. Like, I'm not an expert. I'm just a football fan like anyone else. And I can see it. So if I can see, don't tell me these scouts can't see it. Mm. You know, I remember at the time looking at someone like Eze at, um, at QPR, who was obviously going to, you know, develop it into a very good player. And Palace obviously nicked him. Michael Elise at Reading was another one 
And again, Palace nicked it. I think it was eight million quid. You know, we had the opportunity to get Ivan Tony. It was it was pretty obvious what we were signing there. That wasn't a case of oh, we're taking a bit of a gamble on this guy. It was pretty. You know, it's fairly straightforward, um, and it's great that we you know we're trying to look beyond those horizons and maybe look in the South American markets and European markets. And that's fantastic when it works, like a Richarlison or a Chao Pedro. I just think it's that is then a needle in a haystack. If you're searching through, you know, particularly South America, if you're searching through those divisions to a find a player, uh, finding the player in the first place is probably not that easy. B, you've then got to make sure that he's good enough and can adapt to our division. There's just so much more to it. You know, let's just try and focus on players. Um, if they still want to do that in the background, fine. I don't have an issue with that. And if it, if it works and pays off, great. But that can't be our go-to every time or players that have, have played in random leagues around Europe. That can't be the main pool of our recruitment. The main pool of our recruitment, as you both just said, rightly so, has to be lower divisions. And effectively, you know, football is very simple. as a food chain in football. Um, and, and this is exactly how we've got Rob Edwards. We are above Forest Green in the food chain. We get Rob Edwards as a result. If Rob Edwards, Rob Edwards delivers at Watford and does a good job, someone I'm sure will nab him off us. And that's fine. That's just, that's just our place in the footballing world. But the same goes with players. We need to be looking at League Two, League One, and maybe even the lower end championship teams um, and picking off their best players to move us up. That That's how you improve. That's how you improve a squad. Um, and Leicester City, you know, I know Leicester have obviously had a bit of a rough time this season. They're struggling so far. But you look at the incredible journey they've been on the last few years with the league and FA Cup and, and you know, narrowly missing out on Champions League a couple of years running when they probably should have made it. Leicester have, have improved that squad over the years by doing exactly that. James Madison they picked off from Norwich. Um, Johnny Evans they they picked up on the cheap from West Brom when West Brom got relegated. So they signed Johnny Evans for two or three million quid. Um, brilliant signing. There's so many um, examples of what they've done. And we just consistently seem to fail to do that. I, I just genuinely don't think it's that difficult. Um, so I'm sure there'll be a few people that raise an eyebrows and that is maybe a bit more complicated than, than I'm alluding to. But for me, I think you, you have to follow that model. But clearly having someone like Giretta or, you know, another foreign person that maybe doesn't know the leagues clearly isn't going to benefit that if, that if they want to adopt that strategy. But this is where we need some transparency from, from the pot zones or Duxbury. What is the strategy? You know, they say that there's certain things are oh, we, we can't really share this information with the public. Or, that's fine. There's certain things you can't, but that you can. You can tell us. I'm not saying tell us your top five targets. I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm saying what's the strategy? What's the plan? They can do that, surely. You'd think so. That's what all Watford fans want. We just want communication from the hierarchy, from Scott Duxbury. We want it all filtered down to us fans. And I, I totally agree with both of you saying it. Recruitment's not that difficult. Um, I think it's plain to see we can pick out players who who would fit in. Like you've just listed a few there, Jacob, and it's it's what other teams do. Like with West Ham going down to Hull and getting Gerard Bowen, and it's just you just buying the best of players in those divisions, don't you? Because they want that step up to that division. And I'm sure there's people like Mike says there's a decent striker at Peterborough who's banging in the goals at the moment. Is it Clark Harris, Mike? Yeah, I think we yeah. should have gone. We, I, I would have liked. I wouldn't have turned my nose up if we went for him, but I think Davis is is and you know 
someone that uh, is also capable of doing that job. But Johnson Clark Harris, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Like there's players out there who who would do the step up. Um, and yeah, I, I think we'll probably wrap it up there. We've we've, we've been on for an hour or so. I'm sure. Um, Mike wants another beer, um, so we'll probably wrap it up now. <laughs> I do actually, um, yeah. yeah, thank you, Jacob, for coming on again. I really appreciate it. Um, no Mike, appreciate it. What was that? Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for having us on, Ben. Appreciate it. Oh, nice one. Yeah, no, cheers for that, Mike. Uh, Jacob um, and Mike. Also, I just want to say cheers for um, stepping in last week. I was obviously on holiday, so I couldn't record, but I, I watched it back, and you did a top job with um, Tom from Golden Pages. So cheers for doing that and then back to hosting I, I heard you was a little bit nervous but you smashed it mate yeah no it was it was great to get him on considering the last time he was on Jacob was going for him gone straight <laughs> for the throat with him I thought this is going to be an interesting one do you first <laughs> coming on surprised he didn't say Jacob's not coming on is it but no it was yeah, um, no, it was it was good to be back in in the hosting chair and uh yeah I'm, I'm enjoying these I just hope that the results follow sweet uh follow suit sorry but well, hopefully, yeah, I think, I think our next game is away to Stoke City, which is live on Sky Sports. Uh, I think it's a Sunday, two o'clock yeah. kickoff, 12 o'clock kickoff. Um, so we've got two weeks off now. We international football's here. I don't know if it's it's probably came at the right time for Watford fans. I think we all need a break. We need like a two weeks rehab break from Watford because it is frustrating, uh, especially after watching yesterday, throwing it away. Once again, our under-invested defence has let us down and shock horror. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you everyone for watching. Um, if you liked the video, don't forget to hit that like button. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Uh, tell your mates and um, yeah, come on, you warns. Sports Social Podcast Network.